Welcome to season two of the Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Verity Foss, the incredible co-owner of the multiple award-winning restaurant train, Ui. Ui was voted Delivery Restaurant of the Year, Best Vegan Restaurant, and was recently on a documentary by Channel 4 called Inside Deliveroo. In just six years, Verity has built the business to 130 employees across eight sites, an incredible eight-figure turnover. Verity, I'm delighted to have you on the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for for those me. that don't know you, what is Ui? Ui is a multi-site um, fast food brand um, operating across eight cities. And um, it started off as Ui Diner, which was a meat burger concept which is now developed into a vegan burger concept Mm -hmm. and we serve deliciously dirty vegan fast food the dirty bit that's an intro how did that come about was that just like an edgy thing you come up with or is that where's that come from back in the day um it was like dude food was like dirty fast food and that's what people used to call it yeah it's 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 quite contradictory isn't it because it's essentially like oh yeah your food's dirty but i think the Obviously, the meaning behind the dirty fast food yeah. is like naughty. So maybe like naughty would have been a better better meaning <laughs> for the word dirty. But yeah, like dirty fast food is what yeah. in the industry we call naughty, like yeah, fried fast food. But it's fried. But also, obviously, you're playing on the vegan thing, so you're playing on the health. So a bit of a contradictory thing. But also, I think it's really never said you our food is healthy. Pivot. Oh right, fair <laughs> enough. It's not, like, I'm not saying our food is really unhealthy, but yeah, yeah. if you walk into a restaurant that serves burgers and fried food and you think it's healthy, then... Yeah, there's a, there's a problem. That's <laughs> on you. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, eight cities, you've got two delivery kitchens, I think. You've got six bricks and mortar. You've got a couple open up this year. Am I right in saying you've got, um, last year was eight million quid turnover, 130 staff, is that right? Yeah, so we had a really good last year because um, because of because COVID, we managed to basically put more than 100% of our sales through delivery channels, mm. managed to probably do like 120% of what we would normally do. And we grew with more sites that year. Yeah, um, We did manage to do a really high turnover. It didn't necessarily mean the profit was what it would be on a normal year, because obviously yeah. there's high percentages being taken through delivery platforms. But it was a really profitable year and it was a really good year for growth. Um, mm. It's actually slightly different this year because yeah. um, due to Brexit and stuff, the prices of everything are going up. And I think everyone in our industry is in a bit of a scramble right now to mm-hmm. try and um, find new ways of working before our VAT gets goes back up and to try, basically try and deal with the effects of Brexit. Yeah, so yeah. I'm hoping for the same kind of turnover this year, but it is a very different scenario actually this year for yeah. restaurants than it was last year. Yeah, I think hopefully there's a lot more opportunity to grow. Things things are going back to normal. I mean, I, I want to talk about how you've built that in, I think, I think it's five or six years. It's a phenomenal rise, but I'd like to go back to kind of your school days and also there's a time when you work for one of my, one of my businesses as well, which is, which is amazing. So... <laughs> Spill the beans if you can. Talk about your kind of school, your, any adversity or, or, or anxiety or, or troubles you had there and kind of just paint a picture from then to kind of now, if you don't mind. Um, so I left school, when, well, I, tr- I left school at 16. I'm really dyslexic, so I didn't do very well at school. Mm. Um, and then essentially I managed to blag my way into sixth form, even though my grades weren't good enough, but I didn't turn up to any lessons. And my <laughs> mum was like, right, that's it. Right. I'm not staying at college 
going to work at the bank. So I used to get up at 6am every day and walk through these cold, dark lanes to catch the bus number 54 all the way to work. Wow. And it used to literally take an hour and a half. One of the days I missed it, I was like, shit. Yeah, um, I can't imagine you in a bank, but go on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I was actually quite good because I'm really good at chatting and, and all the like, <laughs> old ladies used to love me. So they were like... Yeah. There was this one point where I made such good friends with this old lady at the bank and she was really lonely and I used to go around her house for tea after work. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I used to actually quite enjoy it because I just used to talk to all the, la- the old ladies because I was based in um, Queen Street. Is it Park Street? But like Queens Road, Park Street. What, in Bristol? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And I did, obviously like a lot of the older generations still come in and pay in their cash and checks mm. and I used to just make friends with them and I used to love it. But yeah, um, I did that for a while. There's only so long you can be a cashier for. Um, I didn't really see myself having a future in banking because I wasn't very professional at the time. Not that there's anything to define what professional is, mm. but it certainly wasn't me. And then I um, went, I was just so, I, I just, my brain is like so overactive and it needed to be challenged. And I was like, well, yeah. I'll go into a sales role. Mm. So I think I did a couple of customer service roles at, uh, at an insurance company didn't do particularly well there either um always got in trouble for peeing on my phone and then I (laughs) decided to um give recruitment a go so I made my way through most of the IT recruitment companies in Bristol but majority of them I got fired for for because I think I was uh, in kind of like my prime party days Mm. um and then yeah so I would kind of like just go into work and not really have much to offer and in recruitment what you give is what you get back so mm, absolutely and also like i am absolutely not able to sell a product that i'm not passionate about and yes i respect anyone who's passionate about you know it mm. recruitment but i certainly wasn't and for me being dyslexic learning about hundreds of different java roles and it wasn't going to work it was never going to work because like yeah didn't have the brain capacity to learn about it therefore I didn't have the brain capacity to talk to someone else about it yeah yeah so I think it might have been about four or five companies actually I made my way through and actually I can't remember the name but I'd love to call him out there was a guy who was speaking to a friend a friend like a family friend of Charlie's who I used to work for him Mm. and he was like oh god yeah that very owns Ewey like she was such an idiot when she worked for me oh really (laughs) yeah I wonder what he's doing now he owns one of the recruitment firms I worked for fair enough and I always remember he was really horrible to me when I went in there and I think he fired me after like five days yeah but I was like you gave me a good three months like (laughs) you were nice to me but he didn't even give me a chance but I kind of felt like I was never really the, mm. I was never really the right vibe for recruitment. Like yeah. a, I like love chatting to people too much. So I found yeah. it really hard to get on with my role. And b, I just didn't have the, I didn't have the like, skill set required to um, be sounds, good. It sounds like in that kind of sort of informative years, kind of leaving, not you know, not being at school, having dyslexia probably held you back mentally as well. But you got you you're a little bit lost kind of going from pillar to post all the time that kind of stuff probably mm. getting into a bit of debt and that, I don't know what, what was it was it kind of like how did you feel in yourself was it kind of like because for me I get the sense you were born an entrepreneur you just needed to find the right opportunity yeah so basically I have missed a part out so when I was working in recruitment and working in the bank I was just racking up loads of debt because I was like living this like really bougie lifestyle on a really 
bloody low salary. I think it was on like 16 to 17 grand a year. And I was like renting right. a flat that was costing me like 900 pound a month. So I was just like living off credit cards. And mm-hmm. then I was kind of like living in this bubble thinking, oh no, it's absolutely fine. Like I, I'm happy because I've got all this money. But I ended up racking up 18,000 pounds worth of debt. Yeah. Which took nine years to pay off, which I've just paid off now. Well, paid off a couple of years ago. Yeah. But like, I just lived in this complete delusional world where I thought I was happy because I was living off my credit cards, but actually I was Mm. not fulfilling my brain or what I wanted to be doing. And inside, like I'm from a really successful sibling family. So like my brother's a a doctor of science. His other brother is really high up in the NHS and accounting. And then my younger brother's a mathematician. So So all the kind of archetypal conformist kind of what, a mum and dad would be proud of kind of roles. Oh, yeah, and, and I never knew right. my mum. I knew my mum wasn't proud of me. She had nothing right. to be proud of me for. She bought, like, when I was 17, I got given my brother's car and I li- spent, like, a year learning to drive and never actually passed my <laughs> test. Like, I was a disappointment. Right. So I was like, right, I need to... Um, I need to do something that doesn't bore me to death because mm. I can't work in a job and if, if it bores me to death. So then I just was like, I know what I'll do. I'll quit my job. So I just literally left working at the age of like 23 because I got fired from another job. Yeah. And then um, I was like, right, I've got like a few weeks to figure out what I want to do. Can't go to my mum for money. So I'm I'm one of seven children. So my family absolutely did not have like money to be able to give to me. And I've never had a handout in my life. Yeah. So it was kind of like, right, you've got to find your way and you've got to do something. And I just I just felt like, yeah, well, that at that point as well, I'd had to go and consolidate all my debt. And I was like, shit, mm. like, you really need to sort your life out. And I was like going out all the time. And my head just felt like completely scrambled and I just didn't know what I wanted. Yeah. But one thing I was always really good at was cooking, especially sandwiches. So I was like, I'll start selling sandwiches. So... <laughs> I basically ran a sandwich club every Wednesday from my house and people would come and get a lunchbox. And I think I got to like, at some points, like 50 a week. And essentially that was enough money to keep me going. How did you sell them? Was it like word of mouth or? I set up a Facebook group and then you had to be a member and then you'd prepay me on PayPal. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's quite good actually. Mm. Do you miss the sandwich club days? I only had to work two days a week. <laughs> Always go back. <laughs> no. Um, and then the sandwich club transpired into me. I don't know if that's the right word, transpired. It's not even a word. Trans- that's a great fired. word. That's a great word. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah, of course it is. I just hear other people use it. So I thought it sounded perfect. It's a perfect word for this. So. <laughs> and then uh, transpired into, um, I had a pub residency where I sold sandwiches and lots of dirty fries and loads of those dirty fries you now see on the menu at Uwe now. Delicious they are. Um, Deliciously dirty. There you go. And then (laughs) um, basically, so Charlie was my best friend Mm. and I, we lived together and he started like helping me out do the sandwiches and the dirty fries because I think he was unemployed at the time. Yeah, yeah. Running student nights and um, we would like spend like these really long evenings in the kitchen like what can we put in this deep fat fryer? <laughs> so we'd get like cheese strings, cover them in nachos, deep fry them, just making like the most outrageous concoctions. Mm. Whilst also at the same time, because we wanted to make more revenue from the Gourmet Sandwich Club, we started a pudding business called Ui Puddings. And we were supplying puddings into meat liquor. Oh, right, yes. And they actually dropped me. 
Why? Um, so, uh, I don't even know why, but I think at the time they were really struggling. And mm. obviously I was a big expense to them. Having these puddings, I don't think they were selling many. Yeah. And obviously working in the industry now, I completely understand. If you're buying puddings and you're having to chuck loads of them out. Yeah. And you're buying puddings from some... And also, I'll be honest, back then I was not very professional in terms of like, I didn't run a slick operation because... I didn't really know what I was doing, so I don't blame them for dropping me. Um, but yeah, so then what happened was once I'd finished doing the puddings at Uwe Puddings, Charlie was like, look, this isn't going to make enough money, the Gourmet Sandwich Club and Uwe Puddings. We need to open a burger restaurant. And I was like, mm. okay. So he was like, let's go around Bristol and ask loads of people what... Um, if they sell in their takeaways and I was like okay yeah so I started asking loads of people and then the guy so me and Charlie lived in this house on Pitchin Street the guy next door was like oh you you can have my takeaway I was like really and then six weeks later no we signed the lease on this takeaway wow and then we opened up and we absolutely killed it on delivery and in-house and then unfortunately meat liquor couldn't make their business work any longer. Wow, so that's a bit kind of like a turn of fate where the, that, that guy just kind of gave you the restaurant. Um, yeah, it was mental. Yeah, and from, I'm from there in kind of a six-year span. You've, am I right in saying you've won Delivery Restaurant of the Year? Yeah, best lost, Vegan Restaurant, is that yeah, right? Yeah, Best Vegan Restaurant in Bristol, Delivery right. Restaurant of the Year and Delivery Best Vegan Category in 2019. So, yeah, so... From Uwe Diner, we then tried out the vegan concept and then that really worked and then we grew that. Yeah. I forgot what question you so asked. So how, how how did you scale it then? Because no real business experience, you've got a lot of heart and passion. Was it? Was, did you have a plan or was it kind of like, let's just crack the fuck on and just build it? Or was it, you know, how did you... Um, so me and Charlie are very similar people and what we like to do is just dive into the middle of the ocean and swim our way out. Mm. So we would just be like, right, fuck it, let's do it. And what's the worst that can happen? And we yeah. just always had that attitude, but obviously not now. You have to be quite sensible and very, very collective decisions. Mm. Um, so what happened was we opened Uwe Diner, Uwe Pitchin Street, that absolutely killed it. And we were quickly like one of the busiest rest- one of the busiest burger restaurants in Bristol. And at the time there wasn't that many competitors. Yeah. Like there was meat liquor down the road. But like what was strange about meat liquor is their food, like, I'm a big meat liquor fan. Yeah. I really like their food, hence I wanted to work with them. But they were like a London brand coming into Bristol. And mm. Bristol just didn't open their arms to them. It was really weird. Yeah. It was like probably quite the wrong location to be in Stokes Croft. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. And it mm. certainly didn't work out when we opened and we took quite a lot of business. Yeah. And um, because we were a born and bred Bristol brand, like everyone yes. loved us. And yes. they were like, oh my God, ooey, ooey, ooey. And we had all of this support and we built this like really cool cult following. And then from that, we were like, getting lots of vegans being like you need to have vegan options and we had this guy who worked for us called ash and he was a vegan Mm -hmm. and to be fair he like created this amazing satan product and then we trialed it out in north street and we got loads of really good fan like fan base for vegans yeah yeah and then we grew and we're like me and charlie were on holiday one year and we were like oh my god let's just open a new vegan and we just literally took the punt we hadn't even gone and seen the shop but we knew what the shop was because there was this other place that we're going to take it and then they pulled out. Mm. So we ended up just literally opening um, Uwe Vegan and it absolutely killed it. So across that kind of meteoric rise, um, there must have been some poor decisions or some hairy moments or some challenging times. Talk to us about the dark times of that because it, it's not always... Um, yeah, like 
it, I remember like the first six months of working there and working like seven days a week and being completely unorganized because we'd never done it before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's no manual on how to open a restaurant. You just learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And um, we were just, a lot of it was, you just have to like F up and then work out what you've done wrong and not do that again. Mm -hmm. And it was just like such a lack of sleep. We never, sales went, this the thing is, sales were never a problem and the demand was never a problem. And that's always like yeah. a p positive. So you, the worries that you have are just operational. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like there was like loads of really bad services and I would always beat myself up and be like, oh my God, I can't believe someone's received that or. So were, were you kind of like the, the face of the business or was was Charlie, how did you kind of separate your roles out or did you both, you know, how did you organise it? Neither of us have ever been the face of the business because right. we've never showed our faces on the oh, Instagram okay. pages or... I was going to ask you actually because I, 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 I was following you on social media and then you vanished. Why did you, you've, it looks like you've deleted your accounts. Yeah, I just don't want social media. I just think that it's... Um, it's just a fake world. That's really interesting. I want to, I want to, I want to delve into that because that's, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff with mental health and purpose and, you know, what we, the content that we absorb, what we do outside of work really affects us, what we do inside of work. And you're right. I think, I think too much of anything is, is a bad thing. But to, you know, to be a business owner, you know, in this world currently, having a social media presence is really important. But to delete it is also a very powerful thing for you to do. Yeah, so I think what it was for me within social media is like the bigger UI grows, the more customers or staff start following you. And I'm kind of an all or nothing girl, so mm. I'm either going to post my whole life on Instagram or I'm not going to have Instagram. Yeah. And I feel like when I had Instagram, I was getting into a really bad habit of just like posting everything I was up to. And you really need to be careful about how you're perceived in life because mm. if you post yourself on holiday and someone who's working really bloody hard for you sees that, they're just right. going to be quite resentful because sure. it's like, even though you've earned that and you've worked bloody hard, I just think that like, when you are a, a business owner with lots of staff and your staff work, as I said, really mm. hard for you on a daily basis, mm. what they, how you perceive yourself is so important to how they want to work for you. Yeah. And if you, yeah, I was just kind of one of those people that if I was out for dinner, I'd want to post it. But then in my head, I was thinking, well, if I'm out for dinner posting this and, you know, someone's doing a double shift, like, how do they perceive that? They might just be a bit resentful for you. Mm. And I think back in the day when I first started UI and I was, like, starting to, like, see rewards in terms of financial rewards, like anyone does, it does go to your head a bit in terms of you want to buy yourself nice things and be seen in nice clothes. Yeah. You want to eat in nice restaurants. Sure. You want to go on nice holidays. And that was a phase that I think I, I, I definitely went through with. A lot of people went through and I was posting it a lot on social media. And then as time's gone on and I've actually stopped caring way less about what my paycheck is and more about the growth of UI, I've, I've realised I don't need to live that fake world where I show off online about what yeah. I have. I'd rather just live a humble life and no one really know what I'm up to because mm. it's completely irrelevant anyway and it does it's not good for anyone to sit there and watch what someone's mm. but basically I feel like if you're sat there posting yourself and what you're doing online and everything's mm. a little bit bougie you're essentially saying look at me right. look how great I am and okay. I just feel like that's a, there's a lot of that on yeah. social media and I began to dislike people that were like that but then in reality I was a bit like that Okay. so I was like do you know what 
I'm not someone who can sit here and not stalk other people. I'm not someone who can sit here and not post stories online. Yeah. I'm just going to get rid of Instagram full stop because I just, yeah. That's was... a really refreshing approach. And, you know, I, I don't think I've met anyone who's in your position that has taken that tax. I mean, the other side of people will say, well, that is very compassionate and it is very a self-awareness piece. And also it, it sort of demonstrates you don't need validity elsewhere, which that's, is great. I don't want validity anymore. And that's what mm. I, like, I was like, what am I posting all of these pictures for? Essentially, one of the big reasons I was posting is because I went on this massive weight loss journey and the, the, I've just I've lost over six stone in two years. Wow. I think for me, it was a lot of it was. So what was mental about my weight loss journey when mm. I was six stone heavier, I only used to feel good about myself when I was absolutely dripping in designer wear because yeah. for me that was like a statement of right. I'm not happy in myself but I'm happy in the clothes I own mm. and then as I started to lose the weight and then I would like looking back through my Instagram I was like wow like I can't believe I would like sit there and post myself and all of this stuff um, and but then as I started to lose the weight I was like my pictures were just becoming more and more like me just post myself looking skinny and I was like yeah. you are constantly essentially attention seeking right. and I don't like that person it's in me it's a very me. difficult trap to A to not fall into and B not to kind of like it's that dopamine hit isn't it and did you honestly feel that you were doing it for the attention or, or, or? I think I was doing it to say look how much weight I've lost right. or like look at me I can do this or mm. like Look at me, I've yeah. got really nice clothes. And I think mm. when you admit yourself that that's the reason you're doing it, then you yeah. that, that's really that's really unhealthy because in reality, yeah. I just want to have a successful business and a happy life and I don't want people to be I think it's amazing. looking at me online and building this perception of me, probably quite a negative one that actually isn't yeah. true because I'm like a very generous giving person and I I love helping people. Yeah like love giving people my time but then when you would look at that compared to me online you probably would just think dickhead the, the amount of, yeah but amount, <laughs> you're right they're, they're, yeah I mean, people will judge you no matter what if you don't if you're not online you are online they judge you anyway don't they but i think the amount of time and energy that's involved in um having a social media presence and profile is kind of like what have you what have you replaced that time and energy with um, but like more time into my business. I like painting pictures. Nice. I like posting insightful things on LinkedIn. Yes, I saw you on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn because it's like, it's a professional platform that gives you loads of opportunities. Mm. Whereas Facebook and Instagram are just platforms that give you loads of anxiety. Yeah. And I don't post things on LinkedIn and sit there after like, oh my God, like what are people talking about behind <laughs> my back? <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. And then that's why I've like I just started investing my time into building a LinkedIn profile rather than building a, yeah, a, an Instagram profile, and that is another thing as well. Okay, I do have no problem with people that want to post their lives on Instagram, and I just want to make that clear because I think what I've said could be misperceived. Okay, but do not sit there and post your life on Instagram and then prang out about what you've posted after because mm. that's not enjoyable. No, no. So if you're going to sit there yeah. and post on Instagram and then be like, oh, how many people are going to like my post? What are people going to perceive this post of? Then Instagram yeah. is probably not for you, and that's how I felt. And I yeah. was like, "That's the unhealthy part of it." So what changed? Because you mentioned like it's no longer about your paycheck; it's about I think you mentioned purpose. I want to talk to you about what it actually is it about. But what did what changed you from being like so focused on Instagram it all all the matter to like dropping it? Was there anything in particular? Was it a pro progress um, process? I think I actually just became happy in myself, right? And realized I didn't need validation of someone liking my picture or telling me I look good mm. and I think as, as I became more confident in my body and myself and my right. business and my job and who I was as a person I 
didn't feel like I needed that validation online anymore. Yeah. And I stopped wanting to be seen as this like person who owned a business and had this really nice life. I just wanted to be quite elusive. Wow. So what what is it? A, what does the future hold to you then? It, it, obviously, you must be earning good money. It's not about the money for you. What is it about? Um, it's just about uh, w- my main goal at the moment is to like basically create a really good working culture. And I want mm. like I look at aspire companies like Flatiron who constantly um, win like one of the best employers to work for, and they're a restaurant, and that's bloody hard to nail being a best employer to work for within a restaurant industry because yeah, it is a hard grafting I've heard, job, I've and heard, yeah. it's not in, always going to be enjoyable being in that kitchen. Mm. So like my goals are just to create this really cool culture for Ui to to work in, and I. Look at brands like Wingstop, Five Guys, Flat Iron, and you walk in there and it's just like, it's like this big family and everyone just looks really happy and everyone yeah. loves working there. Yeah, yeah. And because I, I, like, the money, I don't care. I genuinely don't care about money. Like, there's only a certain amount of money that you need to have a happy life. Mm. I just want to, I want to create that happy life for other people. And when you're spending, like, 90% of your time at work I want that to be a really good place for people to yeah. come into and that's what like my mission is over the next 12 months is to like make people's jobs easier make people's home life like make people's mm. life at work a more enjoyable place to be so I mean how much time because I always believe that you don't necessarily you have to work hard but you you know I, I've suffered burnout as well has has the amount of hours that you do and the amount of kind of how you view work change and because work and life balance, I don't think that works anymore. It's all about life, isn't it? Charlie does not have a work-life balance. Right. He works from like 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. every morning. Yeah. And I do have a work-life balance. Yeah. And we can kind of argue about this because he'll be like, you get in the store right now. And I'm like, no. And yeah. he's like, but you have to. And I'm like, Charlie, no one is productive working 100 hours a week. Totally. And um, he is the most hard-working, passionate human I've ever met in my life. Mm. But, like, he definitely burns himself out. And I'm a great believer in I do not burn myself out at all because you achieve so much more if you, like, just do an amicable amount of hours a week, which I would say, as a business owner, you need to be doing a minimum of 50 hours. Yeah. So how does your mum see you now and your siblings now you're probably the, the most successful one of the lot aren't you i don't i think she measures the success on like necessarily just because mm. i've got like restaurants but i think obviously my brothers have worked bloody hard at university for years to get where yeah, they are of course. so i actually see them as more successful than i am but she is obviously really proud of me um mm. but yeah I think she's just proud of all her children, really. Yeah. But she's happy that I'm out of being a reprobate and moderately successful now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's moderately is, is, is definitely an understatement. But, I mean, I, I've built big businesses. This is a big business now. Um, and I felt very lonely at times. Talk to me. Talk to us about some of the sort of the struggles you might have had or difficult time you've had to turn it around. I've actually... Um, I'm lucky that I've got Charlie to talk to all day, every day. Mm. So I don't ever feel lonely. Um, But there are struggles. There's constant struggles. Like, there's struggles at the moment across the industry-wide because essentially what's happened is every single product that we sell, the price has gone up. So chips to oil, put it in perspective, oil price has doubled and we use gallons and gallons of oils. Um, Chips prices have gone up. So it's constantly a balancing act of, like, 
offering a good value product that people want to buy in mass volume, yeah. but having your GP high enough that you actually make profit. And that mm. is something that we're constantly struggling with. And it is stressful because just as the puzzle gets back together, something comes along. Yeah. And the, and the plan's gone. So, um, yeah, there's constant day-to-day -day work struggles. Um, and this year, more than ever, is going to be the toughest year because Brexit has royally effed over anyone um, in the restaurant industry because so many of our product, products come from abroad and Got you. really, really has raised prices. So I think everyone in the industry is going to be massively feeling the crunch this year. And obviously energy prices have, have doubled for households and people have got way less disposable income. Yeah. Um, inflation's gonna be rocket high. Like it is really quite scary. Did you find that because of the pandemic and you know, delivery online that your sales went up? Was it how was that time for you? Yeah, our sales went up and we did have a really, really good year last year. Mm. An amazing year. And I think almost what's happened with everyone is we've all got really comfortable in having the best year ever. Yeah. And now we're about <laughs> to enter the year of doom. But this is what I believe about restaurants, right? You have to be versatile. You have to learn how to get over these things. And then you are a strong brand and you are a strong business because mm. you are going to hit obstacles throughout your entire career. And nothing yeah. is going to be just, you know, it's mm. never going to, you're never going to swim through everything. So I think we will get through this like period of working yeah. out how to balance all these prices rising as well as opening new shops. And then when you do come out the other end, you know how to do it all over again. So it's just a learning curve. I think you touched on it with uh, Meat Liquor. I, I think your food's exceptional, but I also think how you've pivoted your brand and your brand has been really important to the catalyst of your growth. Would you say that's, that's true? Um, yeah, so the brand has always had a really cult following. Um, I think the name's quite cool and people really buy into Definitely. that. It's quite like a, yeah, I just think it's quite like a cool brand. So for example, mm. Another really, really cool brand. Have you, have you ever been to Wingstop? I've seen, there's a new one on Baldwin Street in Bristol. So I think, they're or like somewhere. a franchise yeah. Yeah. from America. But I've been to the American ones. They're nowhere near as cool as the UK ones. But like, they are just the coolest brand ever. Like, mm. really cool music, really cool vibes, really cool branding, really cool Instagram. And they literally have a cult following. And they are like, so incredibly fast growing. Yeah. And they are like, real inspiration <coughs> for... Uh, for us because we look at their brand and we're like you've just created this like cult following mm. amongst everyone and you know yeah. like their prices aren't the cheaper price range at all it's not like going to like mcdonald's or wendy's it's like yeah. the higher end price bracket but you're paying for the quality and you're paying for the vibe do you have any do you do all your market how have you built your brand though is it have you bought external people in have you done it yourself kind of and thing? we've done everything ourselves right yeah charlie's Always been down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you two are kind of like um, best buddies for a while. I mean, that's that, I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a nice thing to have. I think it's always good to have a, a business partner that you kind of know and trust, right? Yeah, and to be honest, we rarely argue as well. Like, and it, there are like obviously heated moments within a business where you have disagreements, but mm. we've got such a good working relationship whereby, like, even if it does get heated two minutes later, yeah, like, sorry, sorry. So you strike me as someone who doesn't really follow conformity. You, you've, you've mentioned yourself that kind of like, you know, you've had, you know, a partying lifestyle before, but you're, you're now a business owner, but you've, you're obviously a leader as well. So you've got 130 staff, which is an enormous amount of people to lead and manage. So how do you, what's your leadership style? How do you kind of get the, the best standards and the it's best so performance? It's so funny because I always get asked this and me and Charlie and Lena, our operations director, all have completely different leading styles. So my leading style is, I'm everyone's mate. 
I'll get down and do the shit jobs that no one wants to do yeah. so that people see me do those jobs and they're like, well, if she's prepared to do it, then I don't mind doing it. Mm. So I kind of like go into a store and I just treat everyone as if they're my friend. I buy them coffees, I buy them lunch, I'm really good friends with them. Yeah. I'll speak to them about their personal life and I'll do that for a while until we've built a bond and then gradually people just respect you in more of a like Amazing. more of a heart-filled way rather Definitely. than like a boss way and then yeah, they yeah. want to help you because they can tell that you are a nice person and, and they also open up i think a little bit more don't they if they yeah. do have problems they're more likely to come to you which is what you want you want you want to find out what's wrong yeah. as much as what's right you cannot have a business filled with people like me though there has to be like a mixture <laughs> of, course, of people because absolutely. there's got to be your good cops your bad cops so yeah. like i am a good cop you know the, your strengths basically yeah but then I'm not necessarily the person that could hand out a disciplinary. Right. Do you know what I mean? So you need people like Charlie, who is very firm, but very fair. Yeah, yeah. You need people like me, who people can find in. And you need people like Lena, who is like a mentor mm. figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we all play very different roles and we all play the roles really well. But I I guess I am a bit of a softie. Yeah. <laughs> so I ha that's the only way I know how to manage people is just to be really kind to them. But it doesn't always yeah. it doesn't always go in your benefit. Like it can oh my god, where have I got my top? Yeah, it doesn't always go in your benefit because um what can happen is you you know, people can take advantage of that. Mm. So it's just about like have they taken advantage? Because I mean I, I think there's been a big thing in the last few years about um the struggle of, of being a female in business and being an entrepreneur. Um ha has ha has that come up at all and has anyone kind of taken advantage of you of your kind of let's say more kind of um, human-led approach to leadership? Um, I've never felt disrespected as a woman in business, and I always feel like I'm offered the same opportunities that um, men are offered. Mm. But I think that what is really interesting is the difference in the way opportunity... Like, this is quite a sad reality of the life that we live in. So mm. when I was bigger, and at my biggest, I was like, version on a size... Was a, was a a good size eighteen, right? Um, especially like men in business would like quite often just bypass you, and I feel like we mm. are quite a fickle world where yeah. people get opportunities based a lot more on like what they look like. And since I've lost weight um, and probably deemed more attractive by certain males, mm. I feel like I get offered a weight like much more opportunities, which yeah. is actually that is genuinely the truth and it's the a sad real reality, heart. isn't it? It's the sad reality that mm. like because my personality never changed and my skill set never changed, just the way I looked changed. Yeah, but like the absolutely. amount of more opportunities I get mm. offered based on how I look now to how I look before is really scary. Yeah. What what is your kind of principles around kind of hiring and the type of people and the culture how would you describe that um what is my principles on i don't do the hiring right I'm not very good at hiring <laughs> what about the culture though how, how would you describe the culture um, what, what's an ui person is there a particular dna or is it not like that you kind of like you you want a mixture of dna's yeah. you want like there's you want all different personalities because mm. just like you know like me charlie and lena if you're all the same exactly. you need that's so important you need it? your sassy people you need your calm people you need your fiery people you need the people yes. that tell you everything's going wrong so that you like those people because you always have that person that's like this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and although that might frustrate you those people are so essential because they're the reason the people that so make the changes that approach it, it, it encourages growth rather than having kind of like 30 um, Charlie's or 30 Verities. Oh my God, no, yeah. And no one in this whole world is perfect. I'm no. not perfect, but 
I always believe, I always kind of bypass someone's skill set and look at their ability to want to learn because you yes. can't, you can teach people a new skill set, but you can't fundamentally give someone a new personality. So if someone comes in and they've got no yeah. experience, but they're like yeah. really passionate and we feel their energy, then it's like, you know, you can have a job and those are the best people that yeah, you know, yeah. perform the best. We're kind of coming to the end soon, but I, there's loads more questions. I'm going to ask you a few more questions because this is, your, your approach is so ref refreshing to business. I'm really, I'm really mm. impressed by how what you've done, and how how you're taking. You know, you're not kind of allowing your kind of success to kind of be the most important thing. It's about how you feel, right? And, how, and yeah. maybe almost a legacy that you can't. Is it? Is, is it? I always talk about purpose. I mean, do, do you feel that you have a kind of destination or something you want to? Is there a tangible thing you're trying to get towards? Or? I would like to get to the point where, um, so obviously I want to grow Ui, but I don't want to grow Ui so that I can like have like loads of money. I want to grow mm. Ui so that Ui can be used as a tool to help other people. And I've yeah, like recently like mentored this so one of my staff members um his girlfriend wants to start a food business and then i've kind of like given her some advice and i'm helping mentor her with her food business but it made me think like there's so many people out there who actually have not got the opportunity to who who have these really great ideas for food businesses but they haven't got the opportunity or the resources to be able to seek advice and i just think i'd like yeah. to use when Uwe's big enough i would like to like kind of like open up some kind of charity that helps other people who may be from underprivileged backgrounds yeah or people who haven't got access to the resources and people who are genuinely passionate and want to open a business and i can use ui as like a testimony to be like look well i did ui and got mm. it to this and i can help mentor you and through your business yeah, but yeah. i always feel like to be a mentor i don't want to be a mentor that gets paid i want to be a mentor that offers my services for free got you but in order to do that you have to have like a super successful business so i want to have when he does get to a point where it's like everyone's like wow you've really smashed it then i'll be like cool and i want to help you really smash it but i don't mm. want to do it in the sense of like i go into someone's business and charge them i just want to like yeah. help people do that because i know when i was starting my business yeah. there was absolutely no one to help me do it and there's so many people who also don't have the help to do it so that's about being rich and wealthy and fulfillment and purpose and i think if you do do that first you, you get the money anyway and i think it's important not to kind of we're not what we're, what we're not saying is that money isn't important right i think it's obviously important mm. but it's not your kind of well you just know you don't need loads of money like in life like you just need a certain amount to it depends what kind of lifestyle you want to leave but i don't yeah I do like buying myself nice clothes, but as I said, since I've lost the weight, I'm not as fussed about having yeah. nice clothes anymore, and I'm not showing them off online. So, but like be, being in kind of like a dirty fast food uh, environment—that's how you want to describe it. How how do you look as a leader? How do you look after yourself? Because it's really important, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I as I said, I don't overwork myself to the point where I'm stood in my restaurants all the time smelling like yeah. chip fat. So yeah. I make sure that like. I leave work, I go home, I pamper myself, I wake up the next day, I go to the gym, like, yeah, I just yeah. make sure that I, like, you know, I'm not in my restaurants any longer than my staff are in my restaurants, so I just make sure that, yeah, I leave work and I do things to, like, help my mental health, like, go to the gym and relax. On that point of mental health, how has that changed for you? Um, what's your approach to mental health in the workplace? I mean, it's a quite a prominent thing at the moment isn't it yeah i mean it is difficult in a fast-paced environment to find out someone's mental health constantly because you are in a position where everyone's so busy it's not something that you can just 
have a chat about because you're not everyone's not chatting all the time so yeah. it's just about recognizing when someone comes in and they look distressed and saying do you want to go off for a chat and then understanding why they're distressed and working out how you can change that it's mm-hmm. a bit different if you're all sat at a table together in your office and you're clearly talking to someone all day so it's just about as a leader and teaching yeah. your leaders to recognize it if someone is struggling and i think mm. in the restaurant industry there's definitely higher mental health than yeah. um other industries due to the hours of yeah. being on your feet and working in a really high-paced environment definitely so it's really important to ensure you do recognize when someone is struggling absolutely absolutely so if you could turn i mean you're only 32 i mean you've got so much life to live yet and what you've achieved is is phenomenal how you've achieved it as well you've got a very kind of mature head on your shoulders and a very good approach to um grounding yourself and being a leader but if you were 18 again what would you do differently nothing what would you tell yourself now about the future well i just feel like every mistake that i've ever made has led me to where i am now and even Mm -hmm. though like I made a lot of mistakes. I feel like if I hadn't made them, I, I wouldn't have Uwe. So I, I always say there's nothing I would change. Love that. <laughs> and if there's one thing the audience can take away from this podcast, like a tip, advice, anything before we close, what what would you like to say? I, if we're going to go back to like mental health, like I had a real realisation last year about the things that were making me happy and the things that weren't making me happy. And I always used to put things on the back burner and think, oh, Mm. no, I'll deal with that down the line, even though I knew it was making me grossly miserable. And I just think if there is something in your life that is not making you happy, you have to change it. Because only you have the power to change those things. So I was really unhappy with my weight. I changed it. I was really unhappy with my social media presence. I got rid of it. Mm. And all of these things have led me to have, like, a much more, like, detailed, like, feeling of who I am as a person yeah kind of like that accountability where you're not blaming anyone or anything you are you are exactly yeah. where you're meant to be and you more often than not you deserve to be where you are and there's mitigating circumstances you, it's taking ownership isn't it yeah taking ownership of who you are and, and the things that don't make you happy and things that do make you happy Verity it's been amazing I could talk to you for hours yeah. and hours I'm so impressed with what you've achieved thank you for oh, coming thanks. on um how can someone contact you? I know you're not on social media, but LinkedIn, is that the best yeah, place? Yeah, LinkedIn. That's my new social media <laughs> platform. Follow Verity. Watch you, uh, her posts are amazing. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you.